0: This is Bruce Pearl, Sean Shire, Sean Miller. I love the Field of 68. And I listen to you guys every morning. Are we still live? You wasn't on my radar. From the bluest of the blue bloods to the
1: smallest of the mid-majors, the only way to keep up college basketball is through the Field of 68. Welcome in for Episode 3 of The Pod is the Roof, the Field of 68's very own UNC basketball podcast. I am your host, Riley Davis, joined as always by my co-host, Jacob Karabatsis. How you doing today, J.K.?
0: Doing good, man. We talked about it a little bit uh, pre-recording, but still attempting to recover from the worst loss in UNC's football history on Saturday. It was a grueling weekend, and I don't know, man. That's kind of the theme of the last like year and a half, maybe two. I don't want to say two because the Final Four run, but year and a half of UNC athletics is just Build it up, build it up. Let me down, let me down. And I really hope I don't have to go through that again during the basketball season, man. It was brutal.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, with UNC football, it's it's something I always well, probably a couple of years ago, I told myself like, all right, I'm done buying into this. Maybe like those last the last Fedora years of winning two or three games. It's like okay, I'm done getting emotionally invested into this. Even when we hired Mac Brown, I didn't really expect him to to pull me in the way he did. But then you start landing all these recruits, and it's almost a catch-22 where it's like, well, you build up the program to this status where you're able to land a Drake May type of player, Sam Howe before him. You're able to keep Drake May out of the portal. But with, that's come, with that comes expectations, and that's where it's like you, you let down your own expectations. But at the same time, like... Without Mac Brown, would we really have players like Drake and Sam Howell anyway? So it's I, I don't know how to feel other than just like crushed after that loss. Like it was one of those things where for the hours afterwards into the the wee hours of Sunday morning, I still couldn't believe what unfolded and how it had happened, you know, two years in a row, very reminiscent of that loss to Georgia Tech at home as well last year. So hopefully UNC can bounce back in Atlanta, but that's kind of been a, a house of horrors for us in in recent years.
0: Yeah, it's um I think my favorite nugget from this whole entire situation is that that's the third loss under Mac Brown in which they're 14 point or more favorites and that's a problem. Like it it would still hurt the same, but like let's say they would have went 9 and 0 and lost to Duke. That's at least acceptable. Like being 10 and 0 and losing in Death Valley to Clemson is acceptable. Right. But Virginia is there. They might not win another game and they just absolutely slaughtered you. And it's, it was just awful. It was like a no backbone performance. Um, The only thing I can hope is that that's the one and they went out, go 11 and one and, and somehow beat and what's probably going to be an undefeated second or third overall Florida state team in the ACC title. And, that's all I can hope for, but I don't see it happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, like you said, the frustrating part—you have a Virginia team with Tony Elliott on the hot seat. You have a quarterback who played at Monmouth last year. Like, that's what crushes me the most. It's like, man, come on! How are we losing to? How are we losing to a guy who was at Monmouth last year? I've never heard anything about Monmouth football. Like, they, they could hey. be in a, They could be NAIA in football, for all I know. Uh shout out it's, shout out to Monmouth Hoops, King Rice, uh Bench Gang. I know they had that bench mob that was really popular like 7 years ago, but yeah, in football no thanks. But that's that's all we can that's all we can say about our, our they are still our UNC Tar Heels football team. Uh 6 and 1 could be worse, you know, season's not dead yet. Uh but uh, let's let's turn to the let's turn to the hardwood because we're less than 2 weeks away from the UNC basketball season tipping off. Uh, and today we're going to cover a little bit of the secret scrimmage, the news that we saw that broke last week. Of course, we're still waiting on some highlights. I'm begging the UNC social team put something out just to just to keep us like excited going into going into the opening week. Man, we need something to hold us over until we tip off with Radford in a couple weeks. So we'll touch on that, and then as teased in the first two episodes, we'll actually hit on some of our concerns or some potential potholes that we envision with the Tar Heels this year. So yeah, let's let's go ahead and start with the good. You know, J.K., you probably saw. It like Saturday, minding our business afternoon, uh mm-hmm. waiting, waiting for the heels to kick off in football. And we see a nice little Trilly Donovan tweet that says UNC beat FAU by 20 plus points in their scrimmage. Uh not too long afterwards, Jeff Goodman tweeted out that UNC had no issue with FAU in the secret scrimmage. And what were some of your takeaways from that? Or, or what even was your initial response when you saw those those that news break?
0: The news broke. As I was exiting the theater, watching Killers of the Flower Moon, so honestly, I understand the the vibes or that secret scrimmages don't really matter they're just they're just there, it's testing the waters I know f a u had Elijah out, so they were missing a key piece. That being said, it's still a little reassuring when you play a team that was in the final four last year and it comes out that you had no issue with them um that's just always nice to hear especially when UNC man they keep us in the dark like Kansas and Kentucky play these global tours and they do all this stuff and I'm just like I haven't even seen these dudes dribble a basketball outside of live action so it's like any news I can get I'll take and it's pretty it's pretty reassuring especially because you get the news that Cadeau and RJ were like really, really good. And then Jalen, which not going to lie, took me by complete surprise. Didn't expect any Jalen Washington rumblings out of that game. But, yeah, it's really nice that the guard play was elite against a team that has really elite guard play. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's reassuring.
1: Yeah, that was sort of what I took from it too. To an extent, you know, there's always the caveat. People say these secret scrimmages don't matter. Uh to an extent, that's true, you know, if if UNC lost, I probably would be more in that camp saying, "Ah, throw it out, good learning experience." But I do think it means something, you know, to to have a team that was ranked in the the top 25 of Kimpom for most of last year. I don't know if maybe casual fans realize that about FAU. They were a great team all season. It wasn't just the, their final four run. I mean, they won 35 games in a good conference USA league. Uh, They brought back all the main contributors, someone like John L Davis and uh, the big man, uh, what's his name? Vladislav golden. Like they brought back their whole roster. And even without Elijah Martin, who is a stud, I mean, it's a good team. It's a team that's going to, I think they're top 10 in the AP poll right now. And I'll just say, I mean, I'd much rather hear like, UNC had no issues handling them in a secret scrimmage. Then it was a back and forth contest or UNC won one segment and FAU won the next. Like it, it's, it's tough to see that and not at least feel somewhat encouraged even with the the typical caveat that it's preseason that coaches are experimenting with weird lineups. Um, and you know, that goes both ways. Like I'm sure, Hubert was probably messing with some lineups as, as well and maybe some unorthodox things that we will or will not see on the court. Uh, and I'm with you about the the Goodman hinting at that Jalen Washington had a big game. That was something that I wasn't really expecting either. We can maybe talk about him some later in the episode uh, as as far as just trying to even figure out what his role is because in, in theory, maybe offensively, you can play him as a four next to Armando or next to Conquo, whatever pairing you want to use there. Uh, with his face-up game, and I know that that turnaround jumper he hit throughout last year was some of that was really pretty, and that was a bright spot whenever he was on the court. Um, we know he has that upside as a shooter. That was his reputation coming in, and Hubert has been has had no shortage of uh, singing his praises about his ability to just to stretch the floor. But yet, I think he want to say he shot o for eight, o for nine from three last year, yet to make one in his college career. Um, but yeah, defensively, I think is where most of the concerns come with him playing the four. But where where are you at with even projecting a, a role for Jalen Washington this upcoming season?
0: Well, we've, like you said, we've seen the flashes. Like the, was it the, I don't remember. I think it was the second half of the season, Virginia game, where he was like really, really impressive. Yeah, it was I the think first Armando, half after Armando went out with the ankle yep, injury. That's what it was. When he, I mean, and he, against a Virginia team that's very elite defensively always under Tony Bennett, he was, he was great. And we saw the flashes. I think where I'm, I mean, I just don't know. It's like we've talked about the depth the last two episodes and throwing Jalen Washington in there would make the rotation a man deeper. You, you assume that, you know, Withers is probably going to play because he doesn't really have anything left after this year. I would assume that if Washington does carve out a nice role with some quality minutes, that Zayden would probably be the guy because he's a freshman. But I just, I just think it's. I don't know if it's going to become an issue because you know you can't be too deep almost and. Play too many guys. I don't think that's going to be the problem, but I certainly am not going to complain if, you know, we can have a guy come in there that can space the floor a little bit, that is six foot 10, athletic, and kind of offers something like they all offer something different. And mm-hmm. that's where Jalen Washington can carve out a role. And I also think it would be nice to be able to actually. Maybe give Mondo some games where he doesn't have to play thirty six minutes. Like, right. like let's have let's have some front court death and let's let's give Mondo's body a break. I mean, the dude's been a loyal servant, playing whatever minutes he's been asked to play for the last three seasons. So, I, I'm I'm with I'm with the deep front court. If if Washington Withers, Aconquwa, and High are all ready play all of them. <laughs> like, who cares?
1: Yeah, and uh, going back to the depth, I think we can turn away from the front court and more to the perimeter because one of the the big shockers maybe of the secret scrimmage was it was an Eric Bossy of 24-7 Sports. He had a report uh, that said UNC starters for the game, R.J. Davis, Cormac Ryan, No surprise there. Harrison Ingram, Armando Bacot, no surprise there. Uh, But that fifth starter was Paxson Wojcik. And that's someone who we've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, Someone who, you know, put up really good numbers in the Ivy League, who is a knockdown shooter at Brown last year. Nice little lefty jump shot, was able to curl off of screens, shoot on the move. at the at the ivy level and even beyond that has some has some stuff to him as far as being a secondary playmaker goes Um, but the big question is whether or not that'll translate up a level moving up to the power five even if the acc is a much maligned conference these days but what are any thoughts on paxton or or seeing him start the lineup like because for me that was something where i'm like okay if we if we put paxton in there and we're able to handle this team pretty easily i don't know if he's going to be a full-time starter. I I doubt he will. I think it's a matter of time before Elliot Cadeau takes that spot. But even if he can give 15, 20 minutes a game, um, even if he's starting the game just to kind of settle the guys in, like you have that veteran presence who's like 24, 25 years old, has been playing college ball for a long time. If he can hit shots, man, like, I don't know. I I I love the 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 vision of harrison ingram being able to play out of ball screens and and be surrounded with the shooting of rj cormac and, and paxton i think if you look at harrison's highlights at at uh at stanford there's a lot of a lot of passes he's able to make like playing with the ball in his hands like making skip passes. like he can he can he sees the floor so well and uh just has a knack to be able to deliver passes into to shooter like right into the shooting pocket of his teammates so That's sort of what I'm envisioning that has me excited if Paxton has been playing that well. But, yeah, how about you?
0: I love the ability to run a lineup that maximizes shooting. I mean, at the college level especially, shooting is quintessential because not many can do it. People do miss more wide open looks. Percentages aren't quite as high. Mm-hmm. However, if you have Paxson and Cormac in the game, RJ, obviously, you can't just not guard RJ. Like he can hit perimeter shots. Ingram can hit perimeter shots. If you're telling me there's certain points where they're gonna just run Armando as the one guy on the court that can't shoot. I'm with that because one, it opens up everything for Armando. Like he's going to be able to go one on one with everybody. You can't collapse. If you collapse, they're just going to kick it to the corner. But I think it's great, especially against these teams like FAU. And I could think of an, you know, the the most prominent ACC example that comes to mind is going to be. I could see them playing that lineup against Miami teams that are small have a lot of guards. You need to space the floor against. I think that could end up being like, I'm not sure if this team's going to have a set identity like they have in the past. Hmm. I think they're going to be a chameleon. I think they're going to be able to, to really play. However they need to play to at least match up. Like they can start Paxson and go guard heavy or start Cadeau. And you know, even if you start Cadeau, you're still Cadeau, Davis, Ingram, hmm. Cormac you're not necessarily big so I really do think that that just speaks to the testament of the diversity of lineups that they can run because Mm -hmm. if they need to go big they can go big if they need to go small they can go small if they need four shooters on the court they can put four shooters on the court so obviously they have some things that they're going to struggle with that we will hit on shortly and that they're not going to like be some crazy undefeated team. I know if if you're listening to this, you might think that's what we think, but no, it's just after what we got last year, I just think it's such a breath of fresh air to have the ability to Swiss Army knife and do whatever you need to do to at least make it a good matchup.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned shooting and there is that high potential to be, I don't know if this team is going to be an elite shooting team, but I think there is a potential for it to be a very good shooting team to maybe shoot 35 border on 36% as a team, which I don't know, maybe 36% would have been toward the top of the country last year. But like you said, it it is such an advantage at the college game because even writing for the Almanac and talking to 40 or so coaches this summer, um, there's multiple coaches who were saying like, yeah, we prioritize taking away the basket because everybody can hit a layup. Not everybody can hit a three. Like most teams have one really good shooter. Maybe if you're an elite team, you have two really good shooters. Um, So that's something that I think it it is a sentiment that's echoed by a lot of coaches is understanding that yes, the game is changing. Like you, you can't help off in the corner. Like you used to be able to, you have to uh, have guys who know how to close out. You know, you don't just want to give up those shots willingly. But there's still a lot of coaches who understand that the priority of taking away the rim uh, because chances are there's not going to be more than one or two guys who are just going to catch fire against a team any given night. Um, But I'll even use that shooting to say, like, I see the vision, I see the potential for it, but it's also kind of one of my concerns. Um, And I'll start with that. Just it's tough to not address that looking at last year's numbers when North Carolina shot thirty one point two percent from three as a team. That was three hundred and twenty second in the nation out of 363 like that is brutal it was tough i mean even anecdotally speaking it felt like every big shot that we had we missed and even thinking about certain games where carolina would build a seven eight nine point lead in some cases it's a wide open three to to push the lead to double digits couldn't hit it Uh, and even thinking about the ways that's got to affect the psyche of both the the opponent and the team itself of of not being able to get to that double digit threshold that feels like, okay, we got some breathing room. We can keep building and maybe put these guys away. Um, So that's where, with you see that Hubert clearly prioritized this in the portal with bringing in someone like Wojak, who we mentioned a 38% shooter at uh, at Brown last year. Bringing in someone like Cormac Ryan, who shot just I think 34 and a half, 35% last year, but was over 40% the year before, and is I think 35 or 36% for his career. Um, Jalen Withers, who shot 41% last year from three. Again, it was a clear priority for this staff. But why I say it's a concern is is just because I got to ask like. You know, is there a chance that that Cormac's uh, junior season when he shot over 40%, is that the outlier? And is he really more of just kind of an average to good, an above average shooter who's going to get get you 35%? Uh, Withers shot over 40% for the first time in his career. I want to say he was either in the low 30s or the 20s the season before that. Like, was that an outlier? And, uh, and then Wojcik too. Um, I think Wojcik shot 38% last year, but I'm pretty sure that was pretty easily the best mark of his career Um, and some of his free throw numbers. Like he only shot 60, 69, 70% from the free throw line last year, which is a little bit concerning. Yeah. He was 31% um, from three as a junior. So that that's where there's this slight concern that, you know, maybe we, maybe these seasons end up being outliers and there's a little bit of regression there. um, When you, you need at least someone on this team to be able to hit 37% from three besides RJ.
0: Yeah, um so to answer the earlier question, 36% as a team would have been top like 42 last year. So if they can get to that, that'd be that'd be elite. And surprisingly, Colgate was number 1. They shot 41% as a team, which is absolutely nuts. But um Yeah, it's a
1: wagon in that league, dude. They win it every year.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the toothpaste, I'm telling you. If they they put rest in that league, it might be game over for them. But, I mean, it's – R.J. obviously, you know, shot 36% on like five and a half attempts a game last year. So, it's promising to get that back. The thing I will say about the team percentage is I know that this man's name somehow gets brought up every single week. But, like, Caleb did shoot seven and a half threes a game. It was, like, 29%. So Mm -hmm. that certainly did not help. And I think even – I think a lot of that was shot selection. But I think what is going to be beneficial with guys like Cormac and guys like Paxson they're not really shot creators by nature. Like Cadeau and Davis and Ingram are the shot creators. They're going to be hit, getting a lot of set shots in rhythm, mm-hmm. not necessarily always open, but they're going to be good shots, like feet set or curls, where their body's getting square.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I don't. I think the percentage will be up just off a shot quality alone and i'm i'm just excited that we do have you know look at the rotation last year there's not a lot of shooters i mean i love leaky not a shooter armando not a shooter seth trimble not a shooter like we really relied on you know tyler nickel or DeMarco Dunn or guys like that to come to spark and we don't really have that problem this year I mean you go down the rotation and it's it's Withers it's Davis Cadeau can shoot a bit it's Paxson, Harrison can shoot a little bit it's Corman like there's you know if Jalen's in the rotation you've got seven guys in the rotation who can hit perimeter shots and Mm -hmm. that's just like 10 times better than what we had last year. So even if the percentage doesn't shoot up, I'm still excited about the quality of looks Mm -hmm. that we'll be able to get.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the benefit of having two guards like RJ and Cadeau who are going to be commanding attention. And that's not even, that's even leaving out our best player, Armando, who is going to command double teams in the post. Um, You know, he's had flashes throughout his career, particularly his junior year where he, Pass really well out of doubles I know last season it seemed like he maybe regressed a little bit in that area I would guess that's probably been a top priority for him this offseason um, even looking at someone with a, a sort of similar type of game and Trace Jackson Davis who took his game to an all-American level last season by developing into an elite passer um, so if Armando's able to get really good at passing out of doubles there's going to be a lot of 10-03 opportunities for just like you're saying with those dudes that have like the guys who can knock him down. And I will say, e- even if, you know, some of my skepticism or some of my fears that withers or Cormac or, or Wojic all have had outlier seasons and that they're maybe not quite as good of shooters as those numbers suggest, I would still rather have guys with a year of that production under their belt, you know, than relying on someone like DeMarco Dunn who looked great in flashes last season. And I think, could become a good shooter could emerge as a big-time contributor for penn state this year but it's or tyler nichols the same way you know it and there was like the game against the citadel where he he caught fire um and maybe he emerges this year but it is nice to at least have some guys with some experience who have who have shot at a high clip before um and last thing i'll say on that point is withers really is key there like if he he doesn't need to shoot 41 percent like he shot last year if he can make 36 37 38 percent from the four like that's going to get him 20 25 minutes a game um i don't think he's going to approach the 30 minute threshold like we've seen hubert rely on in the his first two seasons because i think there's so many guys who need minutes there whether it's ingram you're going to want to play there some you're going to want to get zayden high minutes as well maybe even you see Jalen washington there some but if he could earn a 20 25 minute game role because he's knocking down his open threes and I mean, grabbing rebounds and playing hard on defense, like that would be a fantastic season for him. It would be really a really welcome addition to the team.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that it's just with Withers, even if he's, you know, even if he's hitting one, if he's getting three open looks a game and just hitting, you know, one of them and hitting, two of them every third game or whatever like i don't need him to be crazy or like lights right. out i just just need him to be just need him to be able to knock down the open ones to be honest with you mm-hmm. and you know i love all the shooting and everything but it also kind of ties in to my biggest concern which is straight up i don't know i think part of it is a little bit of ptsd but it's also part of looking at the current roster construction It's perimeter defense, man. Like RJ and Cadeau, I do worry about the size if when they do both play together. So that's concerning. Um, Paxson and Cormac, they can compete and they will compete, but they're not great defenders. I mean, the issue I'm having is from a perimeter standpoint, the only names in the rotation that are truly like good perimeter defenders are Ingram and Seth Trimble. Hmm. And outside of that, I mean, obviously, a a Kunkwo is a great rim protector. Armando is a pretty good paint defender. Like, I just – I am worried about the perimeter. Like, I'm worried that when they play a team with small, quick guards who can shoot and we start getting those switches and, you know, I just – Especially with the philosophy that they've had in the past of going under like every single screen. I'm just, I'm worried because there's not, like, if you do play a defensive lineup, you're throwing a lot of the offensive potential away. So I guess the only, you know, thing I will say is I hope that, I hope that this group competes. At least like if you guys can at least just give effort full effort on both sides of the ball I think you'll be fine but man I I do worry about teams lighting us up from the perimeter
1: yeah I think that's a fair concern and that's probably among my biggest um even with Ingram you know he's I think he has he kind of makes his hay defensively because he's big he has good size he has a probably I want to say he was measured close to a seven foot wingspan. Like he has the physical, at least the physical measurements, but he's, he's definitely not the athlete that leaky black was. He's not sort of that, uh, amorphous type of defender. who You can stick on a point guard and he can take him out of the game. You can stick on a, like a six, eight wing and he'll take him out of the game. Um, we don't have that this year. Uh, and I think it gets a little more concerning. Like you mentioned that size disadvantage will be at in those Cadeau and RJ lineups. And, um, you know Cormac, I think he's listed at six five. He to me looks kind of bigger than that, like maybe six five and a half, six six, and it looks like he has long arms. Wojcik I think is a little bit smaller than his listed six five height, at least from when I've the couple of times I've seen him in person, um, to where there's, you know, a real chance that those small guard lineups could get lit up, even when we play UConn in December. You know, playing against Cam Spencer who's six four, Stefan Castle who's six six, and Tristan Newton who's six five. Like UConn's going to have a size advantage there. Um I will say I think RJ Davis gets a bit of an unfair rap on defense because there were times last season where he was targeted late in games by bigger guards. Like I think about the pick games in particular where Jamarius Burton was able to post him up and make him pay. Uh if you look at the the numbers, the advanced stats, RJ has actually had a pretty good defensive rating in lineups where Caleb Love wasn't on the floor. And Again, this is not to pile on Caleb Love. Like I, I know we've mentioned him in the pods. Like he's someone who I'm cheering for this year. And as I've said before, I'm always going to appreciate him for hitting one of the three biggest shots in UNC history. And he's always going to be a Tar Heel in my eyes. Uh, but even talking to Caleb in, in one of the post games last year, he admitted like off ball defense was an area where the coaching staff had really challenged him and, and told him he needed to, to step it up. Like he struggled ar- getting around screens. He struggled, uh, at least from my vantage point, looked like falling asleep when he was off ball. Um, so I think that really RJ is, has been a bit more of a, of a peskier defender throughout his career. Um, and I think the ways that like this team really needs to, to mitigate the size disadvantage is play more aggressively. We talked about it when we were recapping live action, like play that no middle scheme, get more aggressive switching or hard hedging on, on ball screens as well. Um, and I think we saw some of that in live action with the way that we iced we iced some ball screens. We had Armando stepping up to to hedge, and it wasn't just him sitting back in, in that conservative drop coverage. So uh, I'd love to see that. Would love to see us heat up the ball a little bit more too. Like I, I don't know if we've ranked out of the three hundreds in the de- de- defensive turnover rate since Hubert's been the head coach. Um, yeah, and even like looking at the numbers last year, like the Kim page, UNC technically had a top fifty defense, but it felt like our communication was always off in key moments. You know?
0: Yeah i I agree. I mean, I don't like the thing I've always given RJ credit for is it's a little Kimbo Walker esque in the sense that he always gives full effort on the defensive end. The Celtics legend just... Kimbo Walker. absolutely Celtics legend Kim Walker the size just just impacts him like as long as you're trying I'm not gonna fault you like he cannot help his height and Mm -hmm. he does give full effort and like I give I'll always give him that like I'm hoping honestly like you said if the defense is going to be bad which I I don't think the defense is going to be elite or even great by any stretch of the imagination. I also don't think they're going to be as bad as they were last year. I think, and I don't think they need to be great. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, they just need to be adequate. Like they just need to be average because I do think the offense will be that good. Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit worried I'm not, like, I don't think they're going to be abysmal on defense, but like you said, if they are going to be bad, start gambling. Like, if you're going to be bad, be bad trying to create turnovers. Like, Mm. jump passing lanes, be a little more handsy on – like, that's what I want to see. Like, don't just lay down and – let teams cook you like if you're not going to be good defensively one-on-one playing man, then you got two options, either start gambling and you're getting beat either way. So the few times you actually create a turnover and don't get beat is a win, or might have to figure out some, some Miami heat esque zone coverages.
1: (laughs) Hey, as far as gambling and playing aggressively, this is where, all right, I'll, I'll say, I think both like Paxton just strikes me as someone who can be super annoying on defense. Like maybe it's just cause it's the scrappy white guy. Who's a coach's kid to where he gets all those vibes. But like that can be his role when he gets in the game is just be annoying. Like, like you said, if you're going to get cooked, just be annoying, man. Exactly. Like, try to get away with fouls, like be active, try to get swipe steals. Like, uh, and then Cormac is someone else who I think is just going to like, be a be annoying on that end of the floor. Be a little bit of a goon, just like trying to hound guys and get in their head and stuff. And uh, you know, we saw that in Chapel Hill last year when when Cormac and Caleb Love got in each other's faces after he after he pushed Puff Johnson on a on a layup. Like I don't know if you remember that, but that was like the fiery attitude I, I want to see on this team from defense. And even uh, you know, talking to Cormac at the media day a few weeks ago. Someone brought up to him, like, Armando had some quote where he said that uh, Cormac got switched on him on a screen in practice and uh, that Armando thought he broke one of Cormac's ribs from being, like, super physical with him. And there was some reporter who asked Cormac about that. And Cormac kind of – he, like, got a little pissed off and was like, no, I'm too tough for that. Like, Armando can't break my ribs because I'm too tough for that. Like, he was (laughs) mad that (laughs) that the question was even asked. And I'm like, I love that, man. Like, I love, like – because that's what you need. You got to have dudes who are like – Going to pride themselves in their toughness, going to pride themselves in like just being annoying and doing what they can despite any sort of athletic or phys- physical limitations. So, listen,
0: you need like obviously this man does not have athletic limitations necessarily, but you need to be Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly's really not a good defender, but he's freaking. Fro- it's like Russell Westbrook said, like he'd be tricking y'all, but. He's freaking. The reason he tricks people is because he's physical. He's annoying. He's in your face. He's scrappy, and he gets cooked a lot. <laughs> but, but he freaking is like the guy that when your team's playing against him, you're like, dude, we're playing against Pat Bev tonight. Like, mm-hmm. that's what we need. And I absolutely love uh, Pax and Wojcik getting the the Chris Collinsworth. He just plays the game the right way. Award. <laughs> we just <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, that's all all you can ask. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down for me. I don't Mm -hmm. care about the defensive numbers. I don't care about the defensive talent. I care about effort because realistically, like, yeah, there are people with really insane footwork, really insane foot speed, really insane verticals, and those are defensive intangibles that you can't teach, but 60% of defense is effort and mindset. Like that's all I care about. If I've got Cadeau and Davis and Cormac and Paxson out there busting ass every night, I'm not going to complain. Like yeah, sometimes dudes are just going to make shots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I think like, uh, we really haven't had a guard like that in a while who was just going to get in your face and be annoying and talk a little bit. Like I know Marcus Page, by the end of his career, he perfected that. Um, I don't know if he was ever a big trash talker, but I just remember like there was a game his senior season against Virginia for the in the ACC tournament championship where he was like just hounding Malcolm Brogdon the entire time. And like Marcus Page – was probably 140 150 pounds like that dude was so slight like so skiddy but it was just in his face and it made a huge difference like that game was super ugly UNC won it um but yeah since then like I mean Joel Berry could give you a little bit of that like th- that's what I'm excited to see like can't can Wojcik can Cormac can Cadeau can they just get in someone's grill gamble take take their chances like you know you're gonna lose that matchup sometimes but can we be aggressive? Because I think that'll change. We'll just that could be the difference with winning a few games. You know, that can win you a couple games, and it it, it might lose you a couple. But I'd at least rather have that aggressiveness than than just sitting back and and not being assertive, um, like it kind of felt throughout last season.
0: Yeah, I mean that's kind of, I guess what I would say because this is the one that comes to mind for me when I when I think about annoying. Be Nate Britt. Nate Britt was. I mean, look, I'm never going to hate on a Tar Heel, but very, very below average offensively. Not a good offensive player, but he was always in the rotation, and he always got minutes because he was a little gnat out there in people's hair, annoying, like undersized but quick Mm -hmm. and just was on you. Like every single moment he was in the game, he was pestering He was running around making the hustle plays, and that's what you need, man. Like, you need that Nate Britt, you need that Nate Britt energy guy. And Mm -hmm. I I don't, I genuinely, that's where I think Seth Trimble has to play minutes. Right. Because he's too good defensively.
1: (laughs) Nate Britt played 21 minutes in the Final Four against Oregon. Five points, took three (laughs) shots that game, but he he earned minutes, four fouls too. You know, he was going to get out there, be annoying. And yeah, I want to see what Seth can do with that. And that that transition transitions into my last potential pothole. And again, it might sound a little counterintuitive. Uh, It's funny how like strengths and weaknesses, it's like they really could go one way or the other. Uh, There's a reason why UNC is a bit of a polarizing team. Some people have Carolina close to the top 15. Some people have them unranked, but my, my last concern would be depth. Uh, and that ties into the the concerns with shooting. Like if if Woj if Wojcik doesn't translate to the ACC level, if Withers has a regression from three, do they find themselves out of the rotation? If Seth Trimble doesn't make any strides offensively, does he find himself out of the rotation? If Zayden High isn't ready, will he get minutes? Uh, Jalen Washington, what if he never? What if he doesn't come close to putting it all together? Like we, there's a chance. I don't think it's a good chance because. Again, we talked about that battle at the four between Withers, Ingram, Zayden High, maybe Washington, all guys who could see minutes there. Um, and there's a lot of potential flexibility in the backcourt as well. But is is this a team that, you know, guys don't make the, the leaps that that Hubert and the coaching staff is looking for? Are there guys who regress and we get to January, February, and we're seeing Iron Five type rotations out there we're seeing a six man rotation and maybe a little seventh man sprinkled in for 5 minutes um yeah i mean to be fair i feel like a lot of teams could ask that same question you know there's there aren't a ton of teams in the college basketball landscape who are just flush with depth um you look at a team like michigan state has these high upside freshmen duke has these high upside freshmen but you know you could say the same concerns with them there's a chance that the, as the game is having these COVID year guys who are 24, 25 years old, it's sort of moving away from freshmen. Uh, but that's, that's just a concern that when I look at this team, I'm like, I like the depth on paper, but there's a chance it doesn't come all together.
0: Yeah. I think that's the, that's what you have to figure out, right? There's a, there's a, and this is going to sound so stupid, but if you get it, you get it. There's a difference between having depth and having dudes on your roster. Big difference like you can have you can have a lot of names on your roster like it's for example like not to draw another NBA comparison but like the Suns went out and signed a bunch of guys to fill out their roster and on paper you're like oh they're deep but do they really have depth or do they just have a lot of guys on the roster that's what UNC has to figure out like is the depth that you and I are so excited about actually going to be depth, or right. are guys going to bottom out? Especially with how Hubert has, has liked to run the ship in his first two seasons, you better not mess up because he likes <laughs> to run a tight rotation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing. My last concern is pretty, is a pretty brief one. And that is,
1: hold on, can I get a thought about depth? I'm I'm leaving the people with a cliffhanger for them to know what your last concern
0: is. Oh God. Yeah. You, you,
1: you, you mentioned the Phoenix Suns and do they have depth? Do they have dudes? Shout out Grayson and Allen and his Phoenix Suns debut going over eight from the field.
0: Hey, that's <laughs> hey, bro, that's what you get he, on
1: a UNC podcast. We gotta be a little petty. Bro, <laughs> I just
0: look. I'm really not sure how Grayson Allen keeps finding himself in starting lineups. Like
1: on good teams, on playoff as, caliber teams.
0: As a bench player, I get it. Like it's cool, but first off, did y'all see when the guy when the guy had the ball in, in the Heat series last year and <laughs> he tried to take the last shot? <laughs> like, bro, tripped on air. I mean, he's. Look, I get it. He can shoot. He can score a bit. I would completely be perfectly fine with Grayson Allen being the seventh or eighth man off your bench. But if you are genuine, like and he's he's he won't be a starter when Beale comes back, but it's still just like, dude, I would rather start at Eric Gordon. Like like Mm -hmm. what are we what are we doing here? Like it's it's insane. But yeah, I mean, my concern
1: yeah, we'll get get back on track.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm all with the Grayson Allen Slander. You know what I'm saying? No pun intended, but we're not tripping for doing that. Um I I'm cons I am still concerned about late game offense. And not even necessarily like just tie game or you're down one. Mm-hmm. You have the ball last possession. Just like the last three minutes of both the first and second halves, like This team crumbles. And I think that's a lack of rhythm, a lack of actually, you know, being on the same page. Like possessions would just get dry. Guys would start standing around. We'd get a lot of RJ or Caleb dribbling at the top for 15 seconds of the shot clock. So I I do think that that can be a little fixed this year because most of the guys that we have are going to be constantly moving and constantly trying to get open because we don't have that. You don't really have that many shot creators, but I am a little concerned about it. Like this team in the past, even in the final four year has been bad about like, we're up eight with five minutes left, get to halftime. We're down six or Mm -hmm. we're up eight with two minutes left in the game. Next thing you know, Hubert's calling a timeout because we're only up one because Mm -hmm. the offense just goes absolutely AWOL. So Mm -hmm. that's a concern, especially when, like, Caleb was the late-game shot guy. Mm -hmm. And so now you either have to have some really, really good sets to get guys open, or someone's got to step up and be that guy. And that's my concern is the late-game offense has just been so poor. I I just want to see it fixed
1: yeah that's a-, that's a great point uh you think about the alabama game that went to four overtimes last year uh with it looked like i mean hubert was calling out sets um it wasn't just like contrary to what people might want to believe it wasn't just caleb love running around aimlessly like there were legit sets being drawn up they just didn't execute um where i'm encouraged again i think like you got got like R.J. and Armando have said all the right things this off season. You know, taking taking accountability, uh, admitting like the parts where they fell short last year and contributed to uh, U.N.C. missing the tournament and having a really disappointing season. So I'm hopeful that there there's like a uh, I'm hopeful that there's like an optimism that this type of stuff can get corrected. And I'm really high on who R.J. Davis can be as that late shot clock killer. Um, and hopefully with guys like. Uh, Cormac and Cadeau out there you you have guys who are instinctual who are cerebral players Harrison Ingram's another one who I think for lack of a better term just understand the game of basketball and know how to make plays um that could elevate what we do late game late game situations but yeah I think that's a great point with how many how many leads that UNC saw slip away last year particularly in the second half um that happened pretty frequently throughout conference play so that's it for our, our concerns, though. So why don't why don't we uh, wrap it up with a little bit of Four Corners? Four Love Corners, it. best part of the show. Yeah, maybe we'll even get a little sponsorship on one day from the Four Corners restaurant in Chapel Hill, underrated oh, sports bar. Love that place. They're,
0: hey, their fries. Just know if you ain't ever been to Four Corners, they got those like nice seasoned crit, like the crunch of the fries there. They also have like insanely good deals. Like, yeah, they do. The, the Wing Knights. Oh, All right, man. We, we,
1: we can't amp it up too much until they sponsor us.
0: Yeah, but that's true. They just <laughs> didn't, they just their didn't wings know we rep, their wings we rep the brand. <laughs> so,
1: our four corners today, as we've said before, this segment of the podcast, we really like to have flexibility with it. It could be four topics on any number of things, a variety of topics are in play here. But today, we're going to talk a little bit about four threats to UNC and the ACC. JK, I kind of want to do it where we sort of like, we each pick one and alternate. I, I don't want to call it a draft because it's like, I'm not going to be cheering for these teams, uh, but, but we're sort of picking who we think UNC's biggest threats are in the ACC. And we'll let's take like 30 seconds to a minute per team.
0: Yeah, I'm with that because we're probably going to have the same four teams, anyways. If not, maybe just one different. Would you like to go first? Because I mean one of us is gonna have to talk about this team even though we don't want to. So yeah. we've I'm down with whatever. I'll
1: knock Duke out of the way. <laughs> I think they are the favorite. Um on I I can't remember what podcast it was on. It maybe it was on a sleepers podcast where I, I want to say I picked Miami to win it just because Duke rarely wins the acc regular season and i think there's a chance that happens again too just because they are going to be incorporating a lot of freshmen um but what makes this duke team different what makes them honestly so scary is that they return two sophomores uh who could be lottery pick first round type guys and kyle filipowski tyrese proctor been a ton of preseason coverage for them people probably don't need to to hear us talk about them especially unc fans where both those guys had big games against us last year so um filipowski looked really good and duke's scrimmage it didn't look like his hips were giving him any problems they got good guards coming off the bench and caleb foster and jared mccain jared mccain in particular i think is a bucket he scares me uh tj power a little stretch four, who we recruited really hard but i wish was at unc he could compete to start anyway but that, that's what duke's duke's mo is this year
0: yeah um second when you mentioned miami obviously deep tournament run last year great coach And they do lose Wong, but they return Pack, they return Poplar, they return Omir, they bring in Matthew Cleveland. They're just, it's going to be the same thing as last year, man. Like they're going to play four guards in O'Mear, and it's going to be hell. And that's just, (laughs) that's just all there is to it. Like, it's not fun. Every, all of them can create shots. I'm also a big, like, wuga truther i think he's gonna have wuga's awesome dude uh, dude i think he's gonna have a great year and yeah it's they're scary let's just say that they're very scary last year was not a fluke
1: elite coach too and i and i mean that man coach l whatever like juice he might have lost when they had all those injuries a couple years ago he's back like people thought laranega
0: was done like and he went to a final four and then he then he's just like all right Time to time to show y'all what's up when I actually have a healthy team and right <laughs> get a couple transfers
1: yep yep for uh the third pick, I might take a direction many people aren't expecting I'm gonna go with Clemson because I think Clemson has really slept on I have them as like a in the twenty to twenty five range i that's partly because I'm a huge p j hall fan uh, I think he is really good two way big can stretch the floor a little bit can play in the post uh can keep Clemson at that standard of defense that Brad Brownell has expected and come to coach over the years. Chase Hunter, another slept on guard who good defender creates his shots, gets other guys involved. And I think Jack Clark was a sneaky, good pickup from them from NC state. Uh, I want to say he only shot 30% last year, but He's like a six, 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 seven 6'7", swing man, can handle a little bit. And if his percentages go back up, he shot higher percentages throughout his career. Uh, that could be a, a really good offense. And, you know, even at the different weak spots they might have defensively with a player like Joe Girard coming in from Syracuse who couldn't guard us, uh, Brownell has enough of a track record to where I think that infrastructure can get the defense at least serviceable.
0: Yeah, Joe Girard's also going to have like 10 games where he just absolutely does not miss. And it's yeah, very frustrating. But yeah, see, okay, you just made my life hard because now I have to decide between two teams. And I'm actually also gonna go bold. Um you would think the pick here would be UVA, but dude, I'm just tired of riding with a team that's never gonna be able to score. Like Tony Bennett's teams play great defense, and this, you know, I think Reese Beekman's gonna have a great final season. I just don't trust that offense. But the team that I trust that I – like you are on Clemson, I am much higher on this team than most is Syracuse. Um, I'm with you. Dude, I, I, was
1: I Syracuse.
0: I understand that the loss of Bayheim feels like just a massive emotional blow. But That's Autry has been around this program since like the 90s. I promise you he knows Q's culture. Like, he knows what he's doing. And then you get into the personnel. I think Judah Mintz could be first team all ACC. Like, he's one hundred percent an absolute stud. And then not even, you know, they bring in, like, a loaded. And then they bring back Benny Williams, obviously. But then they bring in a loaded transfer class, dude. Like, J.J. Starling. You bring he in West Kevin Street. Cuff. Like... You bring in is it McLeod do you say it McLeod? I've never Yeah, McLeod, that. Naheem McLeod. Thought so. Naheem McLeod and you bring in Westry. Dude, I don't care if they have a first year coach. I'm like I am an orange truther this year. <laughs> and that is just I can't help it. I just think Yeah. Yeah. I just think they're good.
1: <laughs> I think last week they announced that Westry's out indefinitely with a lower body body injury, but hopefully he returns by like january february because i know going into last year i think he fell out of the rotation and had some injury issues at auburn but last offseason that coaching staff was really high on him and what i like so much about this clemson or excuse me the syracuse team it's not just judah mints and jj starling in the backcourt like they have legit length on the perimeter which not many acc teams do like we're one of those teams that doesn't have like a six seven six eight wing they got a couple of them um like malik gosh i'm blank on his left malik brown i think and uh Justin Taylor another dude who six six shooter like there's a lot to like about this roster Benny Williams really took a big step last year um they brought in Chris like,
0: Bell too he's like six eight <laughs> yeah Chris
1: Bell's Chris Bell was actually the one who impressed me last year I forgot yeah he's good um and like you said McLeod is just going to be a seven four dude in the middle who's going to do nothing probably but grab rebounds and block shots but um yeah I I I have my ACC top five right now is Duke. Miami, Clemson, UNC, Syracuse. That's my top five. And then I'd have Virginia at six, but yeah, yeah I mean I'm, that's I'm with you on the orange.
0: I'm feel like I've got Duke Miami UNC as my top three. Um that could go a lot of ways. I do think those are the top three teams. I've got Syracuse at four. And then personally, I've got UVA at five and I've got Clemson at six, but the Almanac also I'm pretty sure had Clemson at five. Like they had them Mm. as a top five team. So listen, the Almanac knows ball. It's just, that's just a fact.
1: I appreciate that endorsement by the Almanac. We're two less than two weeks away from the season. Uh, We're, we're, making a one last push like there's no better way to get prepared for the season than reading the almanac and listening to the pot as a roof if you're a unc fan or an acc fan like we don't care who you cheer for listen to us give us a download give us a like give us a comment uh, and also want to foreshadow next week we will be doing a mailbag we already got two questions submitted today uh, shout out to kevin sweeney one of them sports illustrated's very own but please uh comment on twitter respond to us with with questions for a mailbag because we'd love to hit on those as our final podcast before the season starts and they don't
0: have to be overly serious man like if y'all got a funny question to ask us don't i mean obviously you know don't make it like inappropriate but (laughs) if you've got a hilarious question to ask us about us or unc by all means let us hear it like let let us have it
1: Yep. And so all right, we will see y'all next week with one more episode before the season starts.
0: This is Rich Purus. Sean Shares. Sean Miller. I love the field of 16. I listen to you guys every morning. On my radar. From the bluest of the blue
1: bloods to the smallest of the mid-majors, the only way to keep up college basketball is through the field of 68.